Reconstructionist Radio presents The War Room, where we discuss tactics for strategic Christian living. Mighty Lord, extend your kingdom, be the truth with triumph crown. Let the lands that sit in darkness Welcome to the War Room. I'm your host, Bill Evans, here in Tucumcari, New Mexico, with my friend and brother, Gordon Runyon. Traveling across the country as I do, this was a chance to get some much-needed iron sharpening and fellowship with a uh, brother I've learned to really love and respect. Welcome, Gordon. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, showing up at the Setting the Record Straight studios. Uh, Joyce isn't here with us today, but uh, we'll get by, I guess. Yeah. Um. One of the things we wanted to do, uh, I wanted to give you, because I know you're well-read and uh, much better than me, and you have uh, basically been steeping yourself in uh, Reconstructionist literature for about 25 years. Yeah, going on that. And uh, one of the things that we have not yet had a chance to do, uh, surprisingly, is to sort of review for our listeners the questions that served as the motivation for the broadcast to begin with the the first war room podcast of course by the grace of god it is uh, branched out now and we have you and 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 uh american vision and Bo and and others and nathan conkey and scott bus and our and the people giving their testimonies and a new program that's soon to start called no no neutrality and so we this has really been a work of god absolutely we haven't spent any money (laughs) isn't it isn't amazing uh, so what we're going to do, I'm going to pose these things, these questions, and these were basically the questions that I originally posted on Facebook. So I guess you could go back uh, and, and find them. Uh, but I thought I would just just pretend that we're in a batting cage or we're out, <laughs> and, I, and I'm throwing balls to Gordon, and Gordon is doing his best to hit them. <laughs> and, and, of course, this is, by the way, this is uh, improvisational. Right. Uh, he, okay. he, we haven't prepared this. This was just seemed like a good opportunity for me to 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 mix it up with Gordon and and we're we're going to do a best two out of three falls here. Okay. And uh, it's a free for all, Gordon. Can I tap out? At some... <laughs> <laughs> okay. So first question that's that that we're in our list as long as the battery on my iPhone holds up is how do we penetrate and awaken an apathetic, pietistic American church? Uh, I'd say if I if I had that answer, I'd have done it already. I think uh, it it's got to go back to just preaching. I, I know that sounds kind of simple, but man, we gotta we need we need guys with horsepower in preaching. You know? Would you say preaching the law? Uh, yeah, I think that's got to be it in terms of pricking, pricking people's consciences and getting them thinking about where I really am I in relation to God, but. Yeah, absolutely. You got to be preaching law and gospel, and and preaching in the power of the Spirit. And well, hopefully that's that that's what you're doing here every every week and all the time. But as the guys that that fire you up when you listen to them, right. I know the name that comes to my mind when I think of that is Matt Trujillo. Oh yeah, right. You say he's you think he's a good uh, a good would be a good representative. He'd be yeah, a, and you know what he does. It's not. He, I'm convinced he is preaching law and gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. But what he's got going on that I think really wakes wakes some people up 
is he's putting things into practice and uh, it's not just the it's not just the Sunday morning sermon but here's a guy that's really challenging men and women and families to get their act together and and display their fealty to Christ as he is wont to say and uh to me I think that gets people fired up we give them a project and and get them working on it that way so for me, I think application has got to be a big part of your preaching as well. Practical application. And, and it's got to be beyond me and my heart in the corner. And how does Jesus feel to me at this moment? It seems like it's we've got to move into a more action-oriented application of the gospel. Well, he seems to be everywhere. Uh, here's another question. How, if the Lord wills, can we avert the already commenced judgment of God? Man. Repent. Repentance has to start with the house of God and has to start with me. As we're praying for revival, I think the prayer needs to say, God, here am I. I know I need to repent. I need to get right. Do it with me first. Let it start here. Yeah. There there was a conversation, a thread on Facebook the other day and said, what would repentance look like today? Or what would be the uh, modern day counterpart to sackcloth and ashes? Would it be uh, destroying your television set, burning your Republican uh, Party voting card? What, what would it be? Well, for me, I'll tell you what it's been. Just And I don't say this. I want to brag on my congregation a little bit. I stopped taking a salary from my church several years ago just because I wanted us to be able to focus on taking the money that God's people were giving and pouring it into ministries that we thought were having an effect. And so now we've got this little tiny congregation. We're normally under 20 on a Sunday, but uh, at the end of March, we had already given away close to $20,000, just our little tiny congregation. And uh, I'm convinced that giving yeah, yeah. is a major, that's a big deal. Uh, absolutely. God loves givers. Yeah. It's It's hospitality. It's a subset of hospitality, and I'm more and more convinced that hospitality is a weapon in spiritual warfare amen and of course we you know we uh we talked about some some things today and we're both uh uh have been following uh bojadar and 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 stephen perks here more recently and some things where the church is going to begin i think we're going to see a shake-up right uh, in, in 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 various different congregations uh, as to how it does it. But that's exciting to hear that this small body has been that generous, right? Because you know what, God's going to bless that, right? And I, and that's Absolutely. not and that's not name it claim it. That's no, straight no. scripture. No, you're exactly right. Part of being a, a Christian reconstructionist is not just that we believe that all the word must be applied to all of life, and we have to be covenantally faithful. But it's in addition. A reconstructionist believes that God is going to be faithful. You know, that his his promises, his blessings are going to be poured out on covenantal faithfulness in time and history. And that's not naming it and claiming it. That's just, yeah. How do we make homeschooling the standard and not the exception? I think that's going to happen all by itself. I think we're headed there. I think... The public schools are failing. They're failing more and more. I'm not sure we need to do much except keep doing what we're doing, keep pressing the yeah, issue. I think people who don't even identify as believers 
Absolutely. are starting to realize the failure Absolutely. of the of state run school. You probably saw that article that said that a lot of black urban families are homeschooling now and with no commitment to Christ and hmm. just to get their kids out. How can the church begin to once again assume the role of instructing the state regarding, for instance, law and justice? We got to get rid of the false theologies that have kept us within our own walls. We have to storm the state capitals, don't we? Yeah, and and the county county seat. I mean, it seems yeah, to right. me like the church ought to be having their services down at the seat of local government, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, and calling them to repent. Well, that's and what... confess Christ as the only true sovereign. Uh, right, and and I've had people in my congregation go with me to county commission, city commission meetings and urge the commissioners to understand that they're answerable to Christ and he's their Lord. And and I think we need to be doing that more and more. So um, as a lot of the abolitionists, you know, Russell Hunter likes to say, our, our, per, our, our purpose and the thing that we need to identify as our purpose and our whole reason for being here is to bring the gospel of the gospel, and by the gospel, I don't mean just Jesus loves you. This I know. I'm to me. I I think the gospel is all that He has commanded us. Right. The, the good right. news is that Jesus Christ is King. Yeah. And 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 He and so, but they want to force a collision between yeah. right. a, a pagan culture and. The biblical culture. Right. Well, it should be telling that nobody outside our churches cares if we get together on Sunday. They don't care. And that should be a red flag for us. But if your church starts showing, but if your local congregation to a man and woman starts showing up at the at the city council <laughs> meeting or the county commissioner's meeting, I bet they start to yeah, yeah. take notice, don't they? That's right. Um, how do uh, we disentangle the the local well are, and we're i use the word church and i'm starting to choke on it every time i use it now because <laughs> it's it's sort of a mistranslation how do we disentangle the body of christ and our families from state interaction and regulation you're not a four you're not a 501c3 church are you we used to be we what what, what was involved in that uh, well, I I wasn't involved in establishing the church. You know, I just I just accepted the call here, and and of course it was already established that way. And as long as you just don't renew the paperwork, you you fall away. <laughs> really, <laughs> it's not hard to lose that status. Oh, really. so you didn't have to to jump through any legal hoops to undo it? <laughs> no, no. It, because I was under the impression, I guess, from something, some listening to something that. For a larger church, would you think it'd be more involved? Oh well, maybe, maybe because they. But you know, for what I've always heard and read is that churches, by definition, are non-taxable. Yeah, they're tax exempt, not tax exempt. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if the big churches get picked on more than the small ones, or or not. But but you would definitely you think there's biblical warrant to urge any uh, a body. Uh, uh, any congregation of the Church of Jesus Christ to 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 jettison that five hundred one c three status. Yeah, uh, but you know when I was preaching under that status, it never bound me. Uh, 
you know, they never came here and cared what I preached or anything. Not like that. not not at that time. Yeah, right. No. Right. They're, I think the, the, they're going to be upping the ante here, I think. I think you're probably right. We're, we're yeah. going to be into high-stakes poker here before we know it. <laughs> um, how do we become a culture-transforming force to be reckoned with and not merely a voting block to be manipulated? Ooh. Well, we've got to get off the teat. Uh, and uh, like you said, it is time to burn our GOP membership cards. And- Why haven't we started a, a, a Christian party? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> I can't answer that. Well, I can. I think my bias is going to show. I think dispensationalism has trained the church to believe that we don't belong in politics and just let the world take care of that. Okay, next question we had here. And folks, I'm just we're just going down through this list of questions <laughs> that originally just kind of hatched in my pea brain. Uh, how do we rediscover and implement multi-generational discipleship which produces champions for the kingdom of Christ. Rediscovering and implementing multi-generational discipleship. Yeah. Skating parties? (laughs) Well, I think the the idea of an integrated church is a big deal, but our whole culture is isolated. You know, it's not just it's not just generations. It's one family isolated from another family and technology keeping us behind our own little desk and we don't have friends anymore except on Facebook or whatever so I think kind of maybe what we were talking about before uh, purposely moving toward making the church more of a family uh, gathered around a meal that sort of thing might help there Um, yeah one I don't know much about the Amish but the worse things get the smarter they look (laughs) And and I would say in the in the in the word that we talked about earlier, uh, and and is a social order. Oh, okay. is that the, the 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 body of Christ actually? I don't want to say being a subset of culture, but with a clear sense of identity that goes beyond the music we listen to. Yeah, well, I think Stephen Perks mentioned. He had the Latin phrase down that I don't have, but he mentioned an empire within an empire. That that's what we need to be. Well, exactly, and that's why the the Rome. That's why the Rome took issue with the early sure. uh, ecclesia. Yeah, is because they there wasn't they they claimed that there was another king, right. one Jesus, right. and it wasn't because they met or had peculiar ritual ceremonies, right. And I, they were they were doing social justice. They were they were picking up the discarded children. Uh, yeah. They were feeding orphans that had basically been left to die and starve. Settling disputes in their own courts. Mm-mm, can't be doing that. <laughs> Render to Caesar the things that Caesar's. You know, the problem is Caesar thinks everything's his. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, how do we address heresy without being perceived as hateful, and begin to evangelize the cults. And we don't have any heretics, do we, in our... Oh, no. Do you, you, you know any heretics? No, I burned them all. <laughs> You're mean. <laughs> no, Folks, he's, he, he only seems mild-mannered. He's really a mean guy. Well... I'm not sure you do anything differently than when you're talking to somebody that is just a kind of run of the mill unbeliever. You've got to 
when you're addressing that heresy, if people hold it dear to their heart, they're going to perceive you as mean no matter what you're... I, I agree that, that somebody recently put a quote, and it's, and it's really a, a sign of our times that we all so often we make reference to something we've just read on Facebook. Uh, oh, yeah, well, I was, I was perusing Calvin's Institutes or his... Uh, you know, his uh, commentary on Galatians last week. The you official know. John Calvin page. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, no, seriously, you know what I thought is that we need to start asking better questions. You know, it, it's what's so amazing. Somebody did put, somebody posted about, well, so-and-so, people who are truth tellers will always be, I think it was probably Spurgeon even said it, well, they were quoting Spurgeon, uh, when in doubt attributed to Spurgeon. <laughs> But our Mark Twain or Luther, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, it was that 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 truthful people will always be perceived as mean spirited, or bold men will always be yeah, perceived right. courageous, bold, truthful men will always be perceived as mean spirited. But think about it: how did Greg Bonson and and even uh, uh, a more contemporary Saiten Brugenkate, who's going to be on the War Room here in a, in a few weeks, as soon as we nail down a uh, time and date? But, you know, they make it look so easy to push the antithesis. Right. It is questions, asking the right questions. And, and, and if you ask, if we learned to ask the right questions, that would be a good project for you. I'm just get, unofficially <laughs> give you a, Gordon, a, a project to come up with, to, to think about how we ask, but to, to shape. And, you know, I, I used to always say, Selling, telling ain't selling, you know, and, and, right. and the way you control a conversation is by asking yeah, the right questions, right. but specifically as we're dealing with people who hold aberrant theology, yeah. uh, it's asking the kinds of questions that force them to arrive at the conclusion that their own perspective is illogical right. and irrational that's right and it can't really work if they're consistent uh, right we need a christian application of the socratic method and be able to lead people through with questions and i think that comes with knowing the position that you're asking questions about and uh, you have to respect people enough to really figure out what it is that they are talking about when i've listened to sai and when i and and, and and I've listened to him more than I have. I've heard Bonson a few times and some of like the great debate and all that. But, but Cy is just so practiced at doing it. <laughs> right. And, and, <clears throat> and, uh, and, and I think that is the key. That's what, that is what's, that's the right term, pushing the antithesis. Sure. Yeah. Of, uh, of showing them that they're, that they're really standing on a fallacious argument. Right. And right. they have to borrow our presuppositions. Yeah, they do. To even live That's and right. function. That's right. I mean, but you notice he's real good at that. I agree. I've listened to a lot of his stuff. Sai's real good at that, and uh, they hate him. <laughs> yeah, he may be one of the most hated people in America besides Bojan Armenov. <laughs> right. Who we're having here for a conference. Well, we, we love Bo. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we know what's good for us. Uh, how, uh, I swear, where were we at here? Uh, let's see. Oh, how do we call, you liked this one earlier, how do we call manly but lost men to their God-given role as covenantal warrior priests, fathers and husbands, and kingdom builders when we have a perceived effeminate, spiritually esoteric, right. scholastic message? Yeah, there are a couple of things. I can only go from my own experience, but before I came to Christ, one of the things that kept me from it was... 
that very uh, perception. Now, it was wrong. The more I know Jesus, the more I recognize him as a broad-shouldered, deep-chested savior and uh, warrior. But uh, there are a couple of things that I think the church I was in did wrong. And I think it, they take the warrior stories, especially from the Old Testament, and we put them on flannel boards, and we teach it to little kids. And and then you send them into the church service afterwards, and nobody's talking about those stories anymore. We've graduated to uh, Jesus, meek and mild. and, and uh, Hair like a shampoo model. Yeah, and for me, I think... Uh, for instance, there's a famous preacher nowadays, uh, I think, what's his name, Brian Cross might be his name, but uh, he wrote the book Christ-Centered Preaching and, and guys like Tully and Chavijan, where they're so scared of telling men what they ought to do that they just back off completely from challenging them to be men of God. And that's what I needed to hear. Here's a thought that I had. You know, women love romance novels. <laughs> yeah. And men love action yeah, adventures. That's right. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, of course, we've got, you know, whether it's uh, Bruce Willis or uh, Chuck Norris or Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone. We, You know, they're just movie stars. They're not really true action heroes. The first, the proto-Superman... And I'm convinced that the whole concept of of the action hero and, for that matter, the Greek pantheon of gods, heroes, is all a perversion of the God-man, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And, of course, um, even before Christ came on the scene, this genre of heroes and hero worship had been created, I think, to some extent, to anethnotize the culture from this very atypical hero. Uh, yeah. But if you really think about it, I mean, Jesus Christ single-handedly came into the most hostile environment That's right. and waged war and single-handedly defeated the greatest enemy that mankind would ever face. That's right. If that's not an action hero, I don't know what is. Yeah, and the thing that strikes me too is, you know, I watched some MMA and... and uh, I, I was watching it before it was cool for the Reformed, by the way. But uh, you see these guys get the mess beat out of them inside the ring, and they're just stunned. And it takes them minutes and minutes before they can stand or talk. And the thing that struck me a long time ago was Jesus, after being scourged and beaten, and uh, the Bible says he, his visage was more marred more than any man, and and uh, and yet when he comes across the women on the on the way to the cross what's he do he's got his mind completely together and he's not talking about what happened to him he's telling them weep for yourselves don't be weeping for me this is temporary and to me that used to really impress me the manliness of the christ that we serve yeah i i i, I think one of the very first um i'm not an old testament uh, scholar, but it seems to me like one of the first um, <clears throat> titles that God uses for Himself was "Man of War." Well, that's sure. It's very early. Yeah, that's very early. In the Exodus, He's a man of war. Okay, uh, let's go on with some other. Uh, how do let's see where are we at? Oh, how do we sharpen the message of comprehensive gospel victory? It's a code word for post-millennial folks. <laughs> While faithfully engaging unbelievers in diverse 
subcultures within our population? How do we sharpen the message of comprehensive gospel victory while faithfully engaging unbelievers in diverse subcultures within the population? People want good news, don't they? Yeah, I think so. And part of that sharpening happens just as a byproduct of actually engaging these people as they challenge you back and, and you're forced to come up with good answers or better answers than you had before. Well, once all the dispensationals have been raptured, it'll be much easier because we won't have any competition. Yeah, right? I, I, I'd be all in favor of that. <laughs> Let's rapture them. <laughs> and then maybe we can get some work done after they're gone. Yeah. But, but, but seriously, I mean, um, it seems to me that whether you want to call it pre-evangelism or not, that there is a, and, and part of this is due again providentially because of the technology that God has has given us, yeah. is that people are connected today. They're getting more and more of their information from outside of the lamestream government-controlled <laughs> media, and and there is a growing restlessness. There is a, yeah. a, 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 a right. the, with a tea, whether they're Tea Party right. uh, li- libertarians or are, are just anarchists that want to be left alone. But there is a greater, I believe, a rest. And, and listen, uh, it all may come to naught. We may not be able to get anything together before <laughs> judgment. And, and, and I'm serious about that. But, but certainly, to the extent that people think they want freedom, yeah, in many yeah. cases, don't even know what it is. Absolutely. Yeah. But we have a chance right. to scratch that itch. Absolutely. With the yeah. gospel that brings liberty. Yeah, I was just going to say that. If you go out, if you go at them with kind of an esoteric pie in the sky, I'm looking forward to victory thing. I, I don't think that's going to be as effective as simply showing people that the Bible right now does have the answers to a lot of the things that they're freaking out about, and neither of the major parties do. Well, this is this yeah. perfect time for us to get an update on your project of your the, the, <laughs> that you were doing that you had that you basically pitched out uh, to right. uh, that in all, every instant where we see miscarriages of justice, right, right. where uh, whether it be police brutality or uh, uh, courts that are, right. you know, handing out unrighteous sentences, sure. yeah. that the law of God in God's law and in the case laws, we see the solution to this, we yeah. see real justice being meted out. That's right. That's right. I think my own experience as a preacher has been that if you come to neo-evangelicals and they hear you preach about God's, uh, God's penalties for things like just theft, I asked the congregation I was preaching to not too long ago, I asked them, okay, what, is the, what does the law of God say is the punishment for theft? And somebody actually shouted out, cut the hand off of the thief. And I was like, no, 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 you're, you're terribly confused. And when I explained restitution and explained the reason we double the restitution is so that the criminal winds up suffering the very same loss that he thought to impose on someone else. You can just see their eyes brighten up. The, the obvious even-handed justice that's involved in that kind of law i think it busted through some fog on a couple of those people and i think that might be a a real makes me want to break out into some psalm 119 how i love that law (laughs) right right you know but really you're right and 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 it is the law it's not this it's and this is what's so amazing it's not yes 
wherever the spirit is, there's liberty. But it's also true to say that that the law is liberty. Oh yeah, well it's called that. It calls so it's not. That, it, right. So it's not that the spirit is is set against the law. No, no. Uh, that's a devilish notion. Yeah, yeah. It's the grace of law and the law and grace. <laughs> this is right. The law and the gospel are not two horses trying to tear a thing apart as they head in opposite directions. Law and gospel are two horses that are pulling the Lord's chariot. So I think we got. So, so I yeah. think we're on that. The solution there uh, to. Um, Sharpening the message of comprehensive gospel victory is not just victory in the by and by, but that that the that the yearnings of men uh, for fulfillment and justice and fairness and liberty in, in liberty in this time and space continuum Absolutely. are only attainable through comprehensive application of the law of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot, yeah, right. you couldn't have unregenerate men right. functioning under the law of God. Not for very long. They'd wind up <laughs> in trouble one way or the other. But the law as applied and by the Holy and, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, exactly. Conversion yeah. has to and, come and, and then, so they, so, yeah. And then there's, and then you've, I, I get it. That's victory in the here and now, not just in the great hereafter. Yeah. Um, well, how do we consistently practice biblical church discipline across micro-denominational and independent church boundaries? Don't we have to actually even explain what church discipline is? <laughs> right. Right. Well, it's, you know, I've... We've tried, and I'm sure we're not the only church that's tried. You try to follow Matthew 18, and, and the person recognizes that that's what you're doing, and so they just head down to another church. And uh, I think there needs to be, maybe that's part of the Reformation that we need to see is a kind of a cross-denominational sort of agreement that we're not gonna we're not going to just take... People that we know are under discipline. Or well, something. you're a pastor. Do you think that most pastors are even conscious uh, of issues in their congregations, which they lose control of because the offending, the offender skedaddles? Yeah, I, I think there's some of that. Uh, but that, that would seem to be a good basis for building. I mean, back in the day, I think they probably had. You know, pastors associations in a yeah, local, and, and and you have something. Do you have something like that, or just Baptists? Yeah, we've got a Baptist version here, but not even all the Baptists participate in that, though. So it's kind of it's very loose. But you know, that would be seeming to scratch them where they itch and say, "Hey, we want to, we want to uh, pull, we want to enable you right. to better address right. issues of sin exactly. in your congregation." Where people seek to escape or flee uh, godly counsel right. and calls to repentance yeah. by just going to another church yeah. down the road, and the way we can help you to do that is by maintaining correspondence with you and having an open dialogue. Right, and I think the pastors. And of course, we can put put and you you're, you work at the post office, so you can put their picture down there on there. <laughs> right. Do not accept this individual. 
Well, and, and I'm sure a lot of pastors do something like a new member interview. If you're going to bring somebody in, you, you need to get to know them or something like that. And I think we need to be intentional about asking what were, what went wrong at your last church and and follow up just like we would if we were doing a job interview or something like that. Yeah, but you know, by you reaching out to other pastors in the area, even non-Baptist pastors, with that as your motive, right, right, you are, in fact, reaching out to them in a way that they see that you're concerned about the things they're dealing with. Right. And that's a very positive way to build bridges. I would think so. Yeah. Um. Let's see what else we've got here. Um, ah, how do we master biblical conflict resolution and interpose on behalf of innocent victims of church courts? Ooh, man. Do they have church courts in Baptist churches? Uh, well, we had one here. Uh, I'm not sure if that was an innovation or not, but... Uh, I haven't I haven't heard of anything actively going on like that. But. You, you've read accounts on Facebook, undoubtedly, as I have of of churches of, of local congregations where perhaps uh, the elders have taken the side of the husband against the wife, right, right, right. where she suffered great abuse. Maybe he's actually engaged in criminal activity, and they've covered it up. Right. Uh, it makes me want to go burn the church down. <laughs> right. Right. Or, or excommunicate all the elders. Exactly. What can be the what can be the motive? Are you just seeking to avoid controversy, or uh, I, I don't even understand that. I have heard some cases where it seems very, uh, very much like nepotism. Oh, where okay. there's a, it's very yeah. ingrown okay. and almost incestuous right. in terms of the the old boy network and the the hierarchy. It seems very, uh, very oppressive. Yeah. I and, can see and, and almost that. almost like you imagine, you know, uh, uh, a bad stereotype of a of a of a Georgia sheriff's department or something where you know where he oh, yeah, he yeah. basically runs all the bootleggers and prostitutes, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, that's one to go back to, and, and I believe there's some some women uh, ladies now I think are on the on the cusp of really and and a few brothers as well of bringing these issues of abuse forward and saying. Yeah. This is an example of why the traditional American model of church government is failing. Absolutely. So I think, uh, and we'll hear more about this undoubtedly through our resident prophets. (laughs) Oh, am I supposed to use that? Can we use that word? Small p. Oh, yes, of course. (laughs) Uh, Wow. Here's one we're going to get into uh, with our upcoming um, few... Uh, interviews with the godfather of preppers, James Wesley Rawls, <laughs> and uh, uh, Martha, uh, Captain Matthew Marquard, uh, USMC, here in some upcoming War Room podcasts. So how do, we, um, how do we prepare congregations and families to persevere through extended persecution and economic crisis? Yeah, I, well, <laughs> I got a sneak peek of some of that. And uh, I just, one guy, I won't mention it, but I think he hit hit the nail on the head that your spiritual preparation has really got to be primary. And 
and then you can start talking about putting stuff away. We're going to get real tactical on this stuff, folks, so stay <laughs> tuned to War Room for that. And I like to use the term, nothing Nothing says tactical Christianity like surviving, <laughs> persecution. Right, right. Uh, you know, I used to say that winning is the best revenge. Oh, yeah. And I think that surviving, applies to Christ. Yeah. I think it applies to Christ. Well, we kind of have a vision here for, we'd kind of like to be a, a church that, not only is going to survive, we want to be kind of an oasis. Amen. And and you, and Rawls will address that in upcoming uh, War Room uh, episodes. Um, and, and, and this is one I think you've, you've sort of addressed earlier when you talked about the generosity of this body here in Tucumcari, is how do we evaluate and identify strategic ministries so as to maximize allocation of our resources? Uh, right. For us, it was for us it was just uh, making friends, networking, and hearing about. Hey, there's this stuff going on in India. It's an indigenous ministry, and they're just they're on fire. They take a dollar and get ten dollars worth of work done, and and uh, it's just kind of that. It was a slow process of evaluation, but. You know, we found some guys over there that are getting it done, and that was just it for us. Now, I'm going to ask you this because I've met I've met some of the people in your congregation. Are they are they individually excited about these ministries? Are they keeping in touch? Now, if if you if you if you say, well, no, no, they're just basically. But you know, I think that's the the opportunity is to, and I think one of the problems with with the Ecclesia and the ministries of the body as they've oftentimes been administrated in the United States is that people basically throw their money into a slush fund and then the individual allocations of those monies is basically handled by diacon by deacons and so the 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 people who are giving they may get a an update from time to time (laughs) right but it's for a small body like this right I think it would. Wouldn't it be possible for every family in the in the local congregation to pray for every one of these missionaries, our ministries that you're supporting every day? Uh, yeah, absolutely. As part of their family devotion. Uh, well, I they hope should see. They should look at these ministries as members of their extended family. I know. I know there is a handful of families that are really involved, and some are less involved. But my, in my sense, putting the best spin on it, my sense is that uh, everybody's pretty excited that we want to be putting the Lord's money to the Lord's work. And so this is not all. You're, now this is a Southern Baptist congregation here at Emmanuel. Yeah. So is. this is not all Lottie Moon stuff. No, it's it's completely separate. We do give to some Lottie Moon, and and we try to be generous there. But there's no denominational association with this ministry that we're supporting. I mean, they, I, I convinced them to adopt the London Baptist Confession of Faith, but uh, other than that, there's no denomination over them. Well, that's that's you have to you have to be excited about that because the Lord loves a cheerful giver. You have to believe that so. a, that, a, yeah, that yeah. a small body that is generous that the Lord will pour out His. Yeah, His blessings on them. Let me just brag. We started doing this a while back, taking money that would have gone to pay a pastor's salary, especially. And last year, we gave away almost seventy percent of what we took in, and and the all the rest of it was just to like pay the bills. Amen. And, That's uh, exciting. That is exciting. That's beautiful. That's the fruit of the spirit. I hope so. Yeah. That is really exciting. Uh, how do we, as a body, mobilize 
as one man. When our neighbor is being threatened, assaulted, or denied justice. Now, how we do get any any group of people to act as one man, you know, I, the idea of herding cats comes to mind. <laughs> but uh, but what I guess I'm thinking of not in, is, it, for instance, we see whether it might be a case where there's a local miscarriage of justice where a local teen was shot in a traffic right. stop yeah. and murdered. And how do congregations or how do pastors mobilize other pastors to express collective outrage and to demand justice Uh, or I know I'm not picking on cops, but, but they're fun to pick on, but uh, (laughs) because they got guns, but, uh, but the other, the same way with abortion. And and what comes to mind is the image of Saul plowing with his oxen yeah. And he hears word of Israelites that are being basically <laughs> right. held hostage. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he said and it in, in the testimony of First Samuel says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he burned with anger and the Spirit filled him and he burned with anger. Yeah. And then he he hacked his oxen into pieces. <laughs> his oxen now. Right. Hacked them into pieces and sent them out around the country and said, "This is what's going to happen to your oxen if you don't if you don't join me in in rescuing God's people." And it said, "In the in the fear of the Lord fell fell upon them and they turned out as one man." (laughs) That's the image that was in my mind as I as I as I uh, put this question together. Well, I. The best thing I've heard about that is from uh, Matt Truella, and I guess his congregation had at some fights with CPS a long time ago when when homeschooling was still uh, considered a pretty out uh, outside the mainstream sort of thing. And and I from listening to him, I think what they did as a congregation is they just made sure everybody had everybody else's number, and when CPS showed up at somebody's door. They didn't let them in. They kept from opening it as long as they could, and they called everybody. And 15 minutes later, people start showing up with video cameras to, you know, film the government agents and stuff like that. And, uh, that's something we can do as a local congregation. But getting pastors together, I'm, that's an act of God right there. Uh, that's hard yeah, that's do. the sad thing is I know when we were involved in Operation Rescue back in the 80s, it was... Very seldom we had a pastor right, right. Uh, at any of our rescues. Um, how do we unite for action? And, and of course, we're, you're in a, you're in a small town, fairly small town, right? And uh, it would seem to me that that certainly, while you're not necessarily doing all you're doing here with the blessings of all the other pastors in town, you certainly don't want to have the antagonism or the uh, the apath, the uh, the the uh, antimony of the right. other right. Uh, pastors in town. You don't want them to be fighting you. <laughs> no, that's right. Uh, but the question is, is how do we unite for action without compromising doctrine? Now, it's obviously a lot easier to have a a monthly pastors' lunch where you sit around and you know and <laughs> and eat a meal together. You'd all you have to right. do is eat. You don't have to yeah. you don't have to do anything. But is it is it possible? Uh, these are again; these are big questions, folks. And I'm not not trying to put put um, Pastor Runyon or Gordon on the spot here. How do we unite for action without compromising doctrine? Yeah, that's the trick, isn't it? You know what it seems to me, old Gordon, that it 
is that <laughs> this is so sad, <laughs> but that we as Christians are but are you know are much better at dividing than we are at uniting. I mean, we will break fellowship at the drop of a hat. Yeah, right. And, and it seems like the more and, and this is a this is sort of a, a sad reality, but the more aware, the more theologically aware we become. And we and we assign importance to these things that we hold to be true. Yeah. But the more theologically aware we become, the less capable we become of working with others. Yeah, that because be they that don't way. share. It shouldn't be that way. You know, yeah, and, right. and maybe and 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 so reformed churches tend to be small. Yeah, that's right. And if they get very big, they'll break over something, whether it's personality more often than not it's theology or leadership but maybe that is one of the reasons why we see the numerical success of churches that are just theologically vapid right. mile wide and then it's cheap <laughs> right well i think uh for me i think there's a lesson to be learned with the pro-life movement and how it's how uh it's kind of being usurped nowadays by an abolitionist flavor and it seems to me what 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 was done wrong i wasn't there back then but from what i've heard the strategy was to compromise for the sake of having a bunch of numbers that we could attack things with and and the strategy now is i think it's an act of god it's morphing into we're not attacking with numbers we're attacking with the gospel and i think that then you could then you could I can preach the gospel with my Presbyterian brother. I may not, I may not want to be in his church when he's baptizing a baby, but I can, I can preach the gospel with him. And, and but I babies can, are cute. Oh, absolutely, yeah, especially mine. But, I, you know, I guess what I'm saying is, unite for action without compromising doctrine. I think it, I think it has to be that we're, we're taking the right tools to the fight and that's going to be preaching that gospel you know when i uh when i read uh, I, I narrated a book by gary north <clears throat> called when justice is aborted right and just the preface of the book alone was worth the, the whole experience <laughs> of narrating it because one of the things i learned is that when the uh the private school or christian school wars in Nebraska took place with Pastor Sylvan up there in, in Nebraska, that virtually all the big mainline churches were not willing to stand against the power of the, of the uh, State Education sure. Association yeah. and the courts. And, and yet these faithful, stalwart men stood on principle, and I'm sure there was prayer and fasting, and God gave them the victory. Absolutely. And it was literally a David... And Goliath situation, and it was a rebuke to all those who, you know. And one of the things that that that, that I I like to get a I get a plug in every now and then is that cowards are classified in are, are condemned in the same passage in Revelation with homosexuals and murderers. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And I think abolition may be a, another one of those. I would love to see in my lifetime uh, abortion come radically and immediately to a, an abrupt end yeah, and, and be criminalized and enough of the incrementalism. Amen. Uh, but I think what, what, not only because abortion is a, 
is is a is a uh, abomination right. uh, and 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 a crime on a cosmic scale, but also the church needs to see victory. Right. It needs to realize that its hands were given to it. It's been equipped with the weapons of warfare to defeat God's enemies, and it's been a long time in my mind <laughs> since the the body of Christ has seen a cultural victory. In the United States, yeah, yeah. there's been some pushback here and there, right. but it, it, but sadly, it's been done primarily the the pushback. What little sorry little pushback has been done by state agencies, governors, offices, or right. state judges gets most of the play. But by and large, uh, I, I would imagine I don't go to I, you know that there are the vast majority of local churches in America, Gordon. That the world could be burning down around sight, <laughs> and, and they're just exegeting the next three verses. <laughs> they're not even addressing the issues. Yeah, yeah of, absolutely. That's absolutely right. As so, a as a preacher, that bothers me. Uh, that bothers me a lot. This idea that uh, the sermon is just supposed to. Well, uh, expository preaching has as one of its hallmarks that the point of the sermon is the same as the point of the text. But I think Martin Lloyd Jones would have said, if you only get there, you've you've only preached half a sermon. You know, once you figure out what the Bible is saying, that's you're, you're you haven't preached a sermon yet until you've applied what the Bible is saying to what's actually going on, and that's what I think separates or should separate Reformed preaching uh, from distinctively Reconstructionist preaching. In the last one, which actually has been addressed by several of the brothers that I've interviewed, uh, Phil Kaiser, Joe Moorcraft in particular, and that is how does the church jettison or free itself from this uh, unbiblical and almost slavish devotion to a very, in my mind, ineffective seminary method of training leaders. Right. Uh, And and again, not, not, not to marginalize uh, language. Right. Are um, good hermeneutical skills, but uh, there seems to be not so much reliance upon the the Holy Spirit. Sure, yeah, or the calling right uh, of God upon a man's life, where there's obvious, eminent gifts, and uh, and so I think that is starting. I, I think as the church begins to morph from its stereotypical you know building in prime, on prime real estate near the center of town with a with an impressive <laughs> yeah. campus and school buses and and things like that or carillons or whatever they have back to the more of the organic house church small church small congregation assembly concept of the ecclesia yeah uh that the cream rises to the top, you know. God <laughs> right, raises right. up. Yeah, uh, he, yeah. I think that's right. When 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 his people have empty stomachs, he provides men to feed them. Uh, right, right. And I'm praying for a guy like that that I could just uh, kind of pour pour attention and time into in terms of uh, not really an internship, but but that sort of mentoring sort of situation there and and uh 
there was a guy that was here for, uh, he preached one sermon here and, and, uh, just as a, as a visiting preacher and, and a young guy obviously got an anointing to do the work of ministry, but, but just as green as, as you'd want to deal with. And I said, come here, come here. You don't have to even attend church here, but come here and just we'll meet together and I'll walk you through this and, and, uh, I'll just, as much as it takes, I'll get you ready. And, uh, he didn't want to do it. He he needs to go to a seminary somewhere, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, I shared this with, this is going back, but I shared this with Joe Moorcraft and I said, uh, you know, and and Joe is a, is a loved, beloved teacher and preacher and uh, a, a wise man and a battle hardened veteran uh, his small congregation loves him yeah. and, uh, and his teaching. But my concern was, is that I asked him, it would seem like a strange question. I said, uh, pastor Moorcraft, I said, what happens to your congregation right. when you're no longer able to fulfill these obligations, either because you've been promoted right. or because you're, you're just not capable of doing it anyway, age or illness or whatever. And I said, you know, in my experience, of course, and, and, and to his credit, Moorcraft is, as most good men have done, have trained scores of young men. Right. Whether he's got one in the batter's box <laughs> or, or the bullpen, you know, warming up yeah. to take his place or not. But, but I said, you know, in my experience, the the effective ma- manager is the one who's irrelevant. Yeah, that's you know, your you, job. You're, you're supposed to make yourself irrelevant. Yeah. yeah. Make yourself. Uh, well, I know that nobody would ever mistake you for being the issue. You're a very humble guy, and very, and, and you're very. I think. I mean, you're you're um, you're deferential to the to the point of being apologetic. Hey, right, right. Well, I gotta do. That. No, it's that's not an act. That's real. I I know my place. And you would never guess that before he was converted, Gordon was a real bully. <laughs> Well, Gordon, we really appreciate and We're going to visit some more here with our uh, tasty adult beverage. And in, yeah, we're enjoying, by the way, good. our freedom in Christ yeah. as good brothers. But right. we uh, wanted to take the opportunity of, while we're fellowshipping, fellowshipping here together, to uh, let all y'all just kind of sit out. in and hang out with us. Yeah. And these are some of the questions that, that served as the, the backbone, if you will, of our uh, original War Room podcast. And so... Um, and do you remember why you wrote those questions? Do you remember what prompted that? Yes, I do. It was it was an article by our good friend and brother Bojanar Marinoff yeah. in response to uh, a Ligonier Ministry right. uh, um, convention list of topics. Right, and, and it was tough questions. Yeah, and they were and they <laughs> and they were kind of like powder puff questions, right. you know. I, I should not say powder puff. They were certainly things that were important, but. As Bo reminded us from Hebrews, these were things that we ought to have moved beyond. Uh, right. They were elementary principles. Or it would seem like somebody that's read the Bible would have already found the answers. Yeah, well, and what we're endeavoring to do, folks, is we're and, – and one of the – and I earlier – about the time I comprised these um, these questions, and I, by the way, I did get some more questions submitted to me by Captain Marquand, uh, which we didn't have time to do tonight, but – I had written an article um, in, uh, in the quest for a Christian republic, oh, and and in Facebook, and it, it, we were endeavoring to try to grapple with the question of is how do we get there from here? Right. Yeah. 
So, folks, we appreciate uh, your uh, prayerful uh, support of this ministry. And thank you for joining us here on The War Room. Thank you for joining us in The War Room. Please enjoy The Nation's Rage, Psalm 2, by my soul among lions. Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete weekly lineup of eight distinct podcasts. Starting on Sunday, setting the record straight with pastors Gordon Runyon, Jason Garwood, and Joseph Randall Spurgeon. Mondays, the Post Mill Report with Nathan F. Conkey. Tuesdays, Acts to the Root with Bojidar Marinov. Wednesdays, the Hellraiser Report with Scott Allen Buss. Thursdays, the War Room with Bill Evans and Jason Sanchez. Fridays, Once Dead, where Christians give testimonies of God's grace upon their lives. And Saturdays, Restoring America One County at a Time lectures with Joel McDermott. And our new podcast, No Neutrality, with various contributors. Please don't forget to subscribe to each individual podcast or the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where you will get all of the content we produce, including our free audiobooks. Don't forget to go to reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator and to partner with us financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.